You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang, an ugly one for Philly. Ben Simmons back in the building. Obviously didn't play, but he was on the bench. Definitely heard it from the fans. But what happened on the court, not much good stuff. Joining me to break that down and more, Mr. Jackson, Frank Jackson. We haven't done this in a while. And as you pointed out before we went live, the last time we did this was when the Sixers got their ass kicked by the Celtics. So it looks like we're doing it again after a blowout loss here. Yeah, I guess. I mean, they don't play the Celtics for the Nets again this year. Um, but I I guess maybe we shouldn't schedule them for TNT games against, against division rivals. I'm, I'm a bad omen at this point. But uh, no, please no. Yeah, not, not, <laughs> not an ideal game if you're uh, on the Sixers side of things. Yeah, this one, it got away pretty early. I mean, obviously, there was a huge buildup for this one in terms of just having Ben back in the building. We've known for quite some time that he likely wasn't going to suit up. Obviously, didn't, still hasn't at all this season. But man, the Nets took it to the Sixers right from the get-go. They were they were up 40 to 23 after one, uh, had a 21-point lead at the break, really never looked back at any point after that, outscored the Sixers even by 11 in the third quarter. But looking back at this thing, although we will say one good thing did happen for Philly in this one, James Harden did pass Reggie Miller for third on the all-time three-pointers <laughs> list, but that's really all that there was. I mean, you're looking at that hot start, Kyrie, Kevin Durant combined for 17 of the Nets' first 26 points. We saw... Kyrie Irving, not known for his defense, shutting down James Harden in this one too. Harden ended up finishing the game three for 17 for 11 points and Bede led the way with 27. But were, like, were you impressed with how good Brooklyn looked just right from the get-go in this one? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the shot making was ridiculous for me. When, and they finished the game very well, but before before both teams took out their starters, the rotation players, they were shooting even better from the field. So that was, that was you know, kind of popular page. But the defense, the rotations, the way they loaded up on James Harden's drives, um, I thought they did decently against Joel. Like, I mean, obviously, Joel had 19 free throw attempts in the first half. Um, but it was more about how they guarded Harden, how they shut down Maxi's driving lanes, you know, off the catch there on the corners and the wings. Um, just not a level of kind of defensive execution I've seen from them that's then ends this year, really. Um, I think they're bottom five or seven in, in defense this year. And I know they've been missing some guys, and you know, KD is a pretty solid defender, you know, for the most part in an in, in assortment of ways. But that was what really stood out to me. As you mentioned, Kyrie on the ball. Bruce Brown was good off the ball, playing the passing lanes. Nick Claxton did some good things. Uh, Drummond gave Joel some issues at times as well. Seth Curry had five steals. We know that, you know, we know he has limitations, but he has pretty good hands and whatnot. So you saw that on display for the Nets this time. Um, so just, yeah, just a lot of guys playing really well. And uh, it was, it was, it looked like what the Sixers did on, on Monday when they really ramped, ramped it up in the final three quarters against the Bulls, everything on a string defensively in the rotations and whatnot. And, um, so yeah, kudos to them. Obviously they were led by their shot making, but the Sixers have had a really, really awesome offense since Harden joined the team. And, um, obviously there was some cold shooting, but a lot of that was because the Nets were so well connected off the ball and had some good point of attack defense, as you mentioned, led by, led by Kyrie, which is not something you say very often. So. 
Yeah, that was surprising to see. I mean, I, I know they, they they pretty much well started with with Kyrie on James Harden. I don't know if he asked for that assignment, but he kept Harden at bay the entire time. We saw that one play. Uh, I believe it was Patty Mills. Uh, maybe it was Nick Claxton where they where they doubled Harden. Uh, he was still able to get it out. But I mean, you saw that defense there. It was it was swarming and the Nets. You mentioned the shot making. They were 66% in the first half, 11 to 20 from deep. Uh, Sixers just didn't stand, like didn't stand a chance. But we did see some of those old habits that we haven't seen. As you mentioned, the offense has been really, really good since they got James Harden. And, and this was obviously the first loss with Harden actually playing. He sat out that game last Saturday in Miami. But you're looking at this offensively. And the rest of the guys, I mean, I tweeted it out during the game too. It's like you're looking at this. That nobody around Joel could do anything, even though Joel was struggling a bit from the field. You mentioned he did have the free throws, but I mean, the rest of the team at, at, at halftime, the Sixers were at 22.8% without Joel Embiid, eight of eight of 35 from the field. And, and you're looking at this and, and Tyrese Maxey, we've you said he's played amazing, which he has all season, especially since they had Harden. He was two for seven in this one. The ball movement was stagnant. We weren't seeing a lot of penetration. The Sixers weren't able to get easy shots. Do you think, and, and you've mentioned this before too, Jackson, I know you've, you've said it a few times, not only on the podcast, but on Twitter as well, is Matisse Thibel, right? When he plays good, when they're when he hits double digits, the Sixers are undefeated. He only had four points in this one. Like when you're looking at, at, at offensively, is there anything that you watch from this game that maybe scares you from that point of view that, hey, this could be an issue in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things to that. One, um, you know, the Sixers haven't like done anything groundbreaking offensively, you know, with Harden and Embiid in the fold together. They haven't really had time to implement much. I think they've only had what one or two, maybe three practices, um, you know, which is not a ton of time. And and that's that's been fine so far because plan A has basically worked. They, they run those Chicago actions, they run high screen rolls, give stuff to Joel in the post, Irish and cuts, and kind of work from there. But the Nets took away plan A, and the Sixers clearly haven't developed many like, you know, diverse wrinkles or nuanced wrinkles, you know, when, when plan A doesn't work. And so when the net shut that down, they looked a little lost about what to do about that. So um, that's clearly something they're going to have to address. I tweeted it, but like sometimes blowouts or game, you just throw away the game. I don't think that's one of these. I think there are definitely things to take away and apply moving forward, whether it's a series against the Nets, they're a good team in the, in the East. Um, so that was it. But then also like Harden hasn't really used his floater this year um, with, with the Sixers. Um, he's gotten to the rim a decent amount. But you really saw kind of the like the inability to kind of explode up like vertically at the rim mm -hmm. that really hurt today. Um, and so I think going back to the flirt of these developed in recent years, that's really helped him would would be a good counter. So those are the two things that really stood out to me is um, just adding more counters to kind of the Joel Joel and B, or Joel Harden two man game, or if you want to get Max in there as well, call a three man game. Um, you know that could come with time, but it's also they don't have they're not going to have a bunch of you know, practices generally a team only practices in season when they have two days or more in between games. I haven't looked at the schedule, but I don't think they have a ton of those. Obviously they had one just now, um, you know, with two days off since Monday, but uh, that's another thing. And then yeah, Harden, I just thought he was way too rigid as an approach was really trying to draw fouls, which we, which is what he does, but they weren't calling them. And you know, that, that hurt him a lot. And then he kind of went and do a bit of a funk. So offensively, those are the big things, just figuring out ways to, add counters when teams are going to load up to slow the the hard and bead pick and roll or dribble handoff actions well when you're looking at the narrative and, and we heard Shaq and and charles barkley and and the tnt guys kind of talk about this and i definitely saw some takes on twitter that harden can't step up in big games he doesn't play well now looking back at last season against milwaukee 
where they lost in game seven. He did have 22 points, five of 17 shooting, but again, coming off the, the hamstring injury, he missed the first three games of that series, but you're looking back against the Lakers when they got the, when he was with Houston, they got eliminated in the bubble. He averaged about 30 points a game. And that one, I look at the, the loss to the Warriors, uh, the 2018, 2019 seasons, he had 38, 31, 35 in games four, five, and six against Golden State in 2019. In 2018, he had 32 points in game seven, 32 in game six. That was a blowout. Uh, this is the Western Conference final, had 19 in in in, uh, in game five, which they ended up winning. Do you believe in that narrative that Harden can't step up when the stakes are at their highest? I, I don't, I think, I think the narrative is overblown. I think they're like Harden has not generally played at the MVP level that he was at his peak in the regular season carried to the post. That, that is true. There are issues with kind of his somewhat rigid play style offensive that limits him, but he also has a ton of really, really good playoff games. Uh, and I don't think this narrative would exist if they would have won a ring. And obviously, yes, if Harden played better, they maybe would have won a ring, but I think it's overblown. I think there, yes, there are issues with Harden, but, um, I'd also note that I, there was definitely hoopla around this game, and I get that it's maybe a little more notable than – it's definitely more notable than regular season game in general. But this isn't a big game for either team in the grand scheme. Both these teams have goals to win a title. Like, like Harden didn't play well. I've noted that he was too rigid in his approach, and he should have gone to the floater more, and he should have just tried to bait fouls that they weren't calling, and, and there are issues with his ability to kind of explode to the rim. But this isn't a big game to me. I'm not saying you're saying that, but, like, this notion, like, oh, he didn't step up again. Like, it's it's mid-March. They've beaten three good playoff teams convincingly in his first five games. Like, like I just – I if this was if this was May 12th and it was game five and then they were down 3-2, then, yeah, sure, pile on hard. I don't care. But it's just not that. So I don't I don't worry much about it from that perspective. I will analyze what he did on the floor. It was not good. But I don't look at it as, oh, like, oh, this is some harbinger for who he's going to be in two months from now. It's just – it just seems like making a mountain out of a molehill. And while I think the Sixers would have liked to win this game, both because the Nets are a division rival and they could have split the season series. Um, I don't think they're going to, they're not really worried about seeding, but you, know, you never know. Um, like the Nets also have m- like more to concern themselves with, right? Like the Sixers want to get the best seed, best seed for them, whether it's high or matchup based, but the Nets are trying to get out of the plan. So they don't have to play one game to determine their season necessarily. So Kind of a bit of a rant. I hope that it makes sense, but I just saw. I just keep seeing. I also people talk about the big game stuff, and it's like, I can't. I can't get behind the idea this is a big game for either team in the grand scheme, given what they're trying to accomplish this year. I'm with you, and I thought that during the game too. And I'm like, okay, you know what? We've seen how good the Sixers have played with Harden since they made the trade. Again, first loss. They're now five and one with him in the lineup. And I looked at this too and said, okay, was there some hoopla around it? Of course, even though Ben Simmons wasn't going to play. He was back in Wells Fargo Center for the first time as an opponent. Uh, the fans gave it to him, I think, every opportunity that they could. And eventually the energies got zapped out of the building. You know what I'm saying? Like by the by halftime. But and I'm with you, too. I, I think that this wasn't a massive game in terms of the implications. The Sixers still right there at the top of the East, likely going to be, I think, ultimately when all is said and done, maybe looking at a two or three seed, depending on if if Miami can ends up like kind of crap in the bed, which I don't think it will. Uh, the the Bucks they're on a roll. They've won six in a row. So to me, not a huge game, but it did mean something. I think emotionally, mm-hmm. and, and we saw you know Durant and uh, and B jawing at each other. We we saw you know Kyrie Irving came to play in this one, and you saw that there was some added emotions to it. But again, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, and like you said, if this gets to May and we're talking about this, by all means, be like James Harden played a crap game and couldn't do anything. But in reality, 
it doesn't mean anything in terms of the bigger picture, which we'll get into. Actually, let's do that, Jackson, after a short break. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, we're back. Jackson, I was talking a bit there before the break about how, what this means in the bigger picture. We both agree in the grand scheme of things. Again, not a statement loss or a statement win for the Nets. They just came out and kicked the Sixers straight up from, from pillar to post. But looking at this now in the Eastern Conference standings, given the fact Brooklyn sitting at number eight, likely not going to get caught by Charlotte, who's been in its own free fall. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks have been up and down. They're sitting at nine and 10. And then you got the Raptors at number seven. Likely the Nets, only 15 games left, not going to catch the Cavs for the sixth spot, unless again, the Cavs completely implode. But are you scared at all from a Sixers perspective of having to play the Nets in the first round? Because likely I do think Brooklyn has a decent chance of catching Toronto, could host the play-in game. And if the Sixers end up at number two, like, is that a, a matchup you want to avoid if you're Doc Rivers in the Sixers? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to, right? The, the, the proposition of going up against KD, who has a claim as, you know, arguably the best player in the world. He was clearly in the MVP, MVP race before he unfortunately got injured for six weeks or so. But, um, you know, the, the Raptors are good, but you prefer to play them. You prefer to play the Hornets. You prefer to play the Hawks. Like, like, yeah, I think, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's exclusive to the Sixers, right? I think I think Milwaukee would prefer to to not play the Bucks until later. The Bulls would prefer not to play the or the Milwaukee would prefer not to play the Nets until later. The Bulls, the Celtics, the Heat, like all these teams, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's exclusive to the Sixers by any means, but it's just a matter of fact that the Nets have had a, a tumultuous year for many reasons, but they still have, you know, they still have KD, who, you know, is by far the best player among the four playing teams right now. Uh, might be the best player in the conference, you know. Um, has, has a clear stake at it. And then you have Kyrie for half the games. So um, who's, you know, the best, you know, one of the best number two options among all these teams in the, in the, so, um, and then you get Ben Simmons back who, you know, despite all his flaws is an all-star color player. So, so yeah, um, I think you would ideally avoid them. And we'll, I think we'll have a much better idea of kind of where the Sixers, you know, are going to stand in that two, three, four range after they play the Bucks, And that's what later this month, a week or two from now. Yeah. The 29th. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, and that's a ways away. We'll have a much better idea of where the, what things look like in, th- in three weeks, but point being that's, that's the tiebreaker between those two teams. They've split the season right now. Season zero right now. Sixers are a game back currently. So um, we'll know more there in terms of like, are they, are they a candidate to play, you know, the, the seventh seed? Or are they going to be the, the sixth seed, you know, play the sixth seed in the first round? Cause as you mentioned, it's, it's very tough to see the, the Nets, uh, you know, catching the sixth place team, whether that's, you know, right now it's Cleveland, whether it ends up being Boston, Chicago, the Sixers, whoever it is. Um, so long-winded way of saying, yes, I wouldn't want the, I think if you're the Sixers, you prefer to not play the Nets in the first round and, you know, have someone play someone else. But I don't think that's, you know, in, I don't think it's a Sixers individual issue. Yeah. Looking at, looking at the standings too. And, and as you mentioned, you know, right now at the time we're recording this podcast, Sixers a full game behind Milwaukee, for the number two seed in the East. I always like to look at the home road splits. Uh, the Bucks only have five games left to play at home compared to 11 on the road. Sixers are pretty much, well, even 33 
at home and 32 uh, away. And then looking at the strength of schedule, right? Like you're, you're looking at that Chicago and, and Milwaukee, number two and three hardest strength of schedule left in the, in the NBA. Boston's at number six, Cleveland at 12, and then the Sixers in the middle of the pack, basically at number 16. But when you're when you're looking at this, and, and the schedule is going to be a little bit more difficult here uh, next week. They got a, a, a gimme in Orlando, which they should win. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Joe gets, gets a rest that day. And then we see them take on the magic. And then you got Denver on a back-to-back on Monday, Cleveland, Dallas, Toronto, Miami. They got a West coast trip in there with the Lakers Clippers, both very beatable teams. And then you got Phoenix on the, on the, on the 27 before playing Milwaukee. And then things do get a little bit easier towards the end with a couple of matchups against Detroit, a couple of against Indiana there. But when you're looking at this at this point, Jackson, and I know there's still a ton of basketball left to be played. Where do you think the Sixers are ultimately going to end up in the standings? I think I think three. I just it just kind of seems where and I I don't I maybe I mean we might have been talking about this right after the James Harden trade when we went we did a podcast with Paul mm-hmm. and I think he might have asked me and I said three then I still stand by that that's where they are now they've got a, you know a moderately hard schedule an easy close but um, and so I just, just three feels good and like and like we said if it's like if you get a chance to play an injured Cleveland team a young Cleveland team as well versus the Nets or even the Raptors. I think you prefer that, right? I, I don't know necessarily if Cleveland is a, I don't think, I'm not saying that Cleveland is a worse team than Toronto, mm-hmm. but you probably prefer to coach against J.B. Bickerstaff than Nick Nurse. You probably prefer to go up against Darius Garland and Fred Van Vliet. Not because I think Garland is the worst player, but just because Van Vliet's you know, a little more experienced there. So um, it just feels like three is going to be that sweet spot for them. And I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be Cleveland. But it feels like given Jared Allen's absence and they've, they've got injuries to Karis LeVert as well, they're short on ball handlers. Um, it seems like six is probably going to be Cleveland's. Maybe maybe they go to two and all of a sudden they're going to – and Cleveland falls to, to seven. But um, it just seems like three is where the Sixers are going to land. And it's a pretty good spot for them because, as I said, at three, it seems very unlikely they're going to face the, the Nets in the first round there. Yeah, and I, I still think Chicago. The, you know, the Bulls run a five-game losing streak there. They they finally picked up a win. So I mean, they're they're going to get reinforcements a, as well. They're you know they'll get Lonzo and Caruso back. At Lonzo and Caruso back. Yeah, and and Boston's just been out of this world basically the last two <laughs> two three months. So it's like you're you're looking at that six seed, and if if the Cavs, as you mentioned, without Levert, um, without uh, Jared Allen likely going to be the sixth seed. And that's a team you want to play in the first round. That's not a disrespect to the Cavs at all. I mean, they're Evan Mobley, Darius Garland. Those guys can all ball. You know what I mean? Nobody's saying that they can't, but it's just a matchup in terms of experience, the way the Sixers have handled Cleveland so far this season. I think finishing third would probably be the best point because I do think Brooklyn ends up at seven. I don't know who's going to win the other playing game between Toronto, Charlotte, and Atlanta, but you're, you know, you're looking at, okay, Miami likely going to have an easier first round series, but if you're Milwaukee, like you don't want to play Brooklyn in, in round one if Kevin Durant's fully healthy. Uh, Especially they trying to get Brooke Lopez reintegrated as well. Yeah. You, you, yeah. You, I don't think Milwaukee, Milwaukee's obviously the range champs. They're not going to be scared of anyone, but just in terms of like getting Brooke Lopez's feet wet again and whatnot, you prefer to play Brooklyn later because you want him to get a, a series against an easier team. But yeah, I think we're in, we're in locks up there. It's not a disrespect to the Cavs. It's just the reality that the Cavs have been dealt with some injuries, unfortunately, that are, maybe season ending. I don't know. It seems like there's some ambiguity regarding maybe, you know, uh, Colin Sex could come back in the playoffs, but yeah. And, and just, you know, Toronto's, you know, been up and down, but they're, you know, I think you prefer not to play all those long swirling limbs, you know, on the wing that could cut, that could kind of muck up passing lanes for, um, you know, uh, Joel or even, even hard. And obviously the, the Cavs have a very good defense. They're all right. But yeah, I, I, I agree that we're, we just, no disrespect to the Cavs. It's just, you know, it's the playoffs are always about matchups for the most part. And mm-hmm. 
they seem like a little better, seem like a little better matchup than, you know, even like you don't really want to, you don't want to play Boston these days. Boston has been incredible. As you said, they, I think them and the Sixers both are like 24 and eight before today's game over the last 32. That's 61 win pace or something like that. 62 win pace. That's uh, pretty dang good. So that's pretty good, Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that's, that's pretty damn good. Um, one guy I wanted to ask you about too, Seth Curry had a real nice outing for the Nets, uh, 10 of 14 yeah. shooting, 24 points, uh, five steals, definitely was active on the on the defensive end, even saw him kind of talk trash and give the Sixers a bench a, a little bit of look after hitting a three in the uh, in the third quarter. There, The game was already pretty much out of reach at that point. But when you're looking at it, and I'm not, again, I don't want to say the Sixers have totally missed him because they lost the game, you know what I mean, without with uh, James Harden in the lineup. But when you, when you saw him play, like, do you think the Sixers, and they mentioned this on, Reggie Miller mentioned this, uh, one of the few things that I usually only agree with from Reggie when he says during his uh, broadcast, but um, talking about how the Sixers miss, miss Seth Curry. Uh, obviously, they miss his shooting. You can't mess with somebody who shoots over 40% from deep, but do you think that the Sixers shooting has, is, has taken an overall hit without Seth? And, like, do you think they, they do miss him at all? Like, would they would that have been a welcome addition if Maury could have found somebody else at the deadline to, to maybe come in and be a shooter like that? Yeah, I mean, I think in the grand, like, just – you just, you just, when you, you have, when you trade away one of the 10 best outside shooters in the NBA, and that's maybe being conservative to, to Seth's status there, um, you're going to miss him. But the Sixers had bigger issues than shooting, you know, before they traded Seth, right? They needed a primary ball handler. And despite Harden not being good against the Brooklyn, you've seen what that does for Joel. You've seen what that does for the entire offense. So, um, and you're not, you're not positing otherwise, positing otherwise, but you do that trade every time, right? So, um, yeah, you, you miss Seth, but at the same time, I can very much see Seth having a quiet game against the six against the Nets because the Nets have all that size and speed on the on the on the wings. Like the Nets don't have like a ton more size than the Sixers, like at the the one through four positions, but they're a lot quicker. You know, and if, I mean, you have Maxi Matisse, but Harden's pretty slow. Joel is fairly methodical, um, and so they had a lot of speed and whatnot. I think that would have given Seth some issues as well. So that's not, I, I just, I never want to like diminish what Seth does. He was great against the Sixers and was a key reason that game was not even close for most of it, but um, it's all about context. Right. But um, yeah, they would prefer to have another shooter, but I, I, I actually like a lot of, I like actually having Reggie on the broadcast. I enjoy that. He is very passionate and enthusiastic about the game, which cannot be said for every, uh, you know, color commentator that, that does these national games. But I didn't necessarily agree that like, Oh, the big issue for the Sixers in this one was shooting. Yes. They missed a bunch of threes, um, but there, we, as we've said, there were bigger issues. It was Harden not really finding his groove. It was the defense and transition, not really being ready for the, the Nets to run all those hit ahead passes. So, um, yeah, it would have been nice to have Seth Curry, but it, in a seven game series, it's nicer to have Seth, it's James Harden and Seth Curry. And, and I will say, I will stand by that <laughs> 10 times out of 10. Unless of course the Sixers lose in game seven to the Nets and, and Curry has 25 and Harden has 10, <laughs> right? Then we're going to be talking about this, something like, completely yeah, it's different. True. I mean, if you're talking about guys elevating their standard from the regular season, Playoffs Seth Curry's playoff James Harden, you know, given last year, you're uh, you're in a good spot with playoffs Seth Curry. So maybe yeah, maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll have another run like he did last. That'd be pretty fun to watch. Jackson, we'll wrap up on this. Uh, let's talk about the Ben Simmons return. Not really yet. It's going to be ten times worse. I, I think he maybe took some of the heat off of him just by being there today. Wasn't really a fan of his Louis Vuitton sweater though. By the way, I don't know if you liked <laughs> it, but um, when you're looking at when you're looking at at him and and how this whole thing went with the Sixers and you've covered the team for a while now too, um, you any disappointment in it at all? Like you know what was supposed to be with him and and Embiid. Obviously, we didn't see 
Simmons really take necessary steps in becoming a prolific scorer that you maybe would like to see from somebody drafted at the at the top of the list and and you know obviously just never developed a jumper but how do you feel about Ben's time with the Sixers and and what was it like just seeing him kind of back in the arena and again I think he got away with with uh the Sixers fans easing up on him a bit as the game went on just because there was no energy in that building once once yeah, they, they directed their boost to their own team yeah 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 which is I mean <laughs> yeah. I, again they deserved it today though with the way they played but like when you're when you're watching that like did you did you feel anything different and seeing Ben come back and kind of wish maybe things would have went differently ultimately yeah it's interesting I, I honestly hadn't really reflected on it much because you know I first started like I'm not a Sixers fan but I first started covering this team because I was intrigued by the the proposition of the Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Marco Fultz trio, um, which is a long time ago at this point. You know, I think I started covering the team going Fultz's rookie year. So, um, but I think, yeah, I mean, a little bit like it, it, you, that first year, Ben was like, I remember watching that first game and it was like, this guy can't shoot, but he had ended up with like 15, eight and eight or something against the wizards. Like mm-hmm. he, he could, he had like a little running hook. He could get to the rim. Um, and it was like, wow, this guy, this guy's really good. And then, you know, he has that incredible run to end the year with the Sixers rattle up. Was it 16 in a row? Maybe it was something, some ridiculous streak, a lot of it without Joel. Um, and then, you know, things kind of stagnate, but, but yeah, I mean, it, I think, again, I hadn't really reflected on much, so I didn't have much of an answer prepared here, but um, I think, yeah, a, a, it was a little bit of a bummer just because it's, it's one of the things that I love about covering a team and covering the NBA is watching, like getting to track guys year by year and that's what's so fun to watch Joel is I know what he was good at and what he was bad at or where he struggled with I should say more delicately um you know when he when, I, when he first entered the league I know where Tyrese you know struggled initially I know where Tobias has gotten better where Matisse has gotten better and with with Ben there were clear errors he could have gotten better outside of shooting and they never really materialized it would have been fun to see that happen just for obviously for his sake to become an even better player an even better star uh, and obviously for the Sixers sake and just you know as a as a person who enjoys basketball it would have been cool to watch that development. You know, I, I don't, you know, obviously he can do what he wants, but yeah. So a little bit of a weird, a weird thing to, to watch. I think it'll be a lot stranger when I actually watch him play against the Sixers. Like for, you know, for now it was just kind of like, whatever, like he's like the Sixers playing, he wasn't playing. That's, that's become yeah. tradition this year. Um, but I think, I feel like I'd have a better answer with a little more, like it just didn't really resonate for me. You know, like it, it was just, it just felt kind of indifferent, which, not that like it matters, it doesn't matter, right? Like I'm just a person, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything about Ben? But I'll, I feel like I'll have more more fleshed out thoughts once once I see him play against the Sixers, whether it's next year, whether it's the playoffs this year. But for now, it's just kind of like, man, eh, it's cool to see Ben around, you know, the, the games again. And he's been he's been on the sidelines for the Nets, and wow. But I haven't watched a ton of them. You know, I've watched maybe a few games, but um, they're not panning to Ben very often. But but yeah, not not a ton of feelings, but. Uh, just, you know, I think I'll have more, more uh, articulate uh, ideas once, once he's actually in a uniform for the Nets and he's going against the Sixers. I, I still think the basketball gods are going to give us net Sixers at some point in the playoffs. So I think we'll see that sooner than, than later before next season, at least in the regular years, uh, regular season. So uh, I do think that'll happen. Also, I'll let like, you know, Kevin Durant actually had a pretty money quote uh, just seeing this on, on Twitter now, basically saying that it's hard to chant at Ben Simmons when you're losing by that much. Yeah. That, that was yeah. He had, a, the he had a nice little one. Uh, yeah. He had a good little uh, post game interview on, on TNT with Stephanie Reddy, but I don't know if he tweeted that, but, or maybe it was post game quote, but but yeah, uh, side note, I will say it was it was fun to watch when the game was still close. It was fun to watch KD and Embiid kind of or yeah, KD and Embiid kind of jaw each other. I think they have very much a a mutual respect. It's a fun, fun rivalry brewing. And hopefully we get even more of it in the playoffs, like you said. But 
I just want to note that I, I got, I enjoyed watching them kind of go back and forth early in the game, you know, with their trash talk. Oh yeah. I missed that too. And it's funny because I mean, I grew up in the nineties where basketball games were finishing 80 to 72 and we'd be like, Whoa, what a game. You know what I mean? Like that was awesome to watch, but it's the intensity and the rivalries, which I honestly think, I, I think as a hoops fan, you know, basically my whole life, like I've missed seeing that, you know, I, I love watching when, when guys are getting each other's face like that. And you can, t- it's just coming from sheer competitiveness. You know what I mean? And and I don't think yeah. we've, we see that enough in, in today's NBA and we haven't for a few years, but I, I do think the ri- rivalries, I think naturally in any sport are made in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Unless it's like a geographical thing mm-hmm. um, that they're, you know, playing each other four or five times a year, but looking at it, at it from that, I think just given how good the, the league is this year and, and how stacked, especially the Eastern conference. And I know we look at the West and a lot of the, the season we were like, well, it's, it's basically Phoenix and golden state. And we've seen the run Memphis has been on Utah's gotten its act together the Mavericks, the Nuggets all playing well. The Nuggets going to get back uh, Jamal Murray and MPJ. Don't know how good they're going to be, but they're expected to be back for the playoffs. And you're looking around at this, and I'm like, I, I think we're going to get some really good playoff series this season just because of the quality of the team. So I'm definitely looking forward to that come time for mid-April. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I agree that like I, like I never heard anything wrong when like when rivalries are a little bit manufactured or like it transcends basketball. But it is fun when you can just see two superstars playing this well, and it's total respect off the floor. And again, I don't have any issue. Players don't like each other off the floor. Humans don't have to like each other. Um, but like, it, it is cool when like, cause I think Katie was very complimentary of Joel after the game. He's saying he's really hard to stop and stuff. You can tell there's no, there's no bad blood. Once the game ends, like it's just two dudes who are really, really freaking good at basketball and they're, they're chopping it, they're chopping it up and, you know, getting the heat of the moment, but they realize that, you know, that stays inside the lines. It's, it's really fun. So yeah, I, I agree. That I think things could really be heightened. I mean, it feels like this rivalry between the Nets and Sixers has been a little bit manufactured but just discourse and narratives, but I think it could really be hammered home if we get a series here. And I, I hope we do just for the sake of basketball. You know, I was talking, it's not a great matchup for the Sixers because you don't want to face Katie in the first round, but just as a basketball fan, uh, you know, throw my, my Roblo the NFL cap a couple of years ago, I'll throw my NBA cap just to watch that and, uh, and really enjoy it. So we'll see, but uh, hopefully next time we talk, we'll have a little more in-game analysis. It'll be a closer game. Yeah, rather than losing by 35 points, yeah, or 30 points. We don't really, yeah, it's not much. I, that's what I was thinking, actually. I was, I was saying that before we started. I was like, I was looking forward to this one. You know, like, we're going to talk about what happened on the court, these big moments, and, yeah, we just we got let down in that regard. But, Next time. yeah, and like, and like you said, I mean, the games are going to start to count, really, in just over a month when the playoffs begin, and I think that's where – uh, a lot of the analysis and a lot of that will be talked about. Uh, Jackson, let's wrap wrap things up there. Uh, before we do, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. As always, say, you can catch us wherever you get your fix, whether that's Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, Jackson, Paul Hudrick, Steve Lippman, Harrison Grimm, Tom West, I can go down the line, a bunch of talented writers for us at libertyballers.com have you covered for all things Sixers as we head into the stress drive of the season. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.